Hi, my name is Sopal Pettit, and you are listening to the Millennial Wealth Builders. Co-hosted by Aquania Escrenay, the host of The Purpose of Money, and Danielle Desir, the host of The Thought Card, Millennial Wealth Builders series is where we share the stories of women of color building wealth. But this isn't your ordinary interview-based show. Throughout the series, you'll be hearing from women who are creatively securing the bag, stacking coins, you know what we mean. So Paul Pettit was a young child when the Pol Pot Revolution happened in Cambodia. So Paul and her family are survivors of a time called the Killing Fields of Cambodia. They came to the United States with nothing but their lives. At age 14, So Paul was enrolled in a school for the first time, not understanding or even knowing how to speak a word of English. She navigated her way through school and to being a successful adult. So Paul, in this episode, shares her stories from the beginning with the normal everyday life she experienced as a child to the isolation and unspeakable death tolls and devastation that she experienced as she tried to survive the killing fields of Cambodia. When her family finally escaped to the United States, thanks to the UN camps and subsequent sponsorship to America, she was finally able to see a better opportunity for her and her family. So Paul's touching story will grip you as she talks about the struggles of adapting to life in the United States, as well as her journey of discovering herself after surviving such a tragic event. We hope that this story inspires you and helps you understand that you can overcome trials that life may dish. But we also want to warn you that the details of her story are very gripping, sad, and emotionally difficult to hear. So you may want to prepare yourself for the realities that she experienced as a child during a regime. This is So Paul Pettis' story. So I was from, um, was born and raised in Cambodia and the capital of Cambodia is called Phnom Penh. And um, when, when I was about five years old, was the last memory that I had was a um, very happy memory. Remember have tons, tons of shoes, different color. <laughs> Aunt and uncle bought those for me because I was the only um, firstborn and the only child in the family. And then after that, my next uh, memory was just that happy memory just disappeared overnight. And then I woke up in the countryside. I remember riding the um, train with lots of people and, um, and up in the countryside where my other grandfather He's a farmer and, um, you know, stayed there for a few months and really almost like a hidden, quiet place. It Because my family um, on my mom's side come from a very high rank military background. And um, my, my grandmom 
choose to go back to live with my um, youngest aunt and they all got killed in Cambodia. Going forward from there, uh, you know, we have to leave my grandfather location because now my grandfather got scared that they might know where my mom coming from. So now we have to escape to a new location and that new location, I, I wasn't sure what it called. Um, it's located around near um, Battambang. Battambang is another big town city in Cambodia that's closer to Thailand. So nobody knew us there. And we, we were just integrating and working hard. At one point, they questioned my mom because she had lighter skin color. They said, why is um, you a lighter skin? Are you a teacher? Are you, um, you know, rich? Are you, you know, whatever that they asked to get quite answer from her. And she said, oh, the reason why she's white is because she's stay inside sewing clothes for people. She never got a chance to go outside. That's why she was white. She never be out in the sun. Then they said, then why you, you, you know, should sew clothes? So their hats, you know, those big hats that you see a lot of Asian um, people wear in the country working out in the rice field. My mom sewed those hats. And so she would end up sewing hats for them. And that's how she was able to survive. And then left me, my brother and I um, at home at the shack, the little shack. I mean, we don't have any um, bedding or anything, just the dirt floor. And um, we only have clothes, our clothes on our back, and that's it. Um, for us to have, you know, shower or anything like that, um, we have to run out in the rain to get shower. And my brother, you know, he, he, we just tried to be happy and waiting for our parents to come home. But later on, I found out that my parents are in two separate camps. You know, my mom in one camp and my dad in a different camp. So they asked the same question, but in separate camp. And they, somehow the answer was the same. That's how they were able to live. Um, while they were in the camp, my brother and I, um, at that time, I'm probably about seven years old, you know, and my brother, he's three years younger than me. So, you know, he's in his um, four or five years old. We have to learn how to survive and, you know, finding food. And every day our food getting smaller and lesser and, you know, in the community, everything that we do, we have to put it in the community home. So they're the one who give us food. You know, we don't decide that. And um, our, our food is just basically is rice, rice portrait. And sometimes sometime it's a lot more water than just rice, you know. Through that process, I learned how to pick berries, berries that are, you know, maybe good or not good for our body. I don't know, but I know it's edible. And the reason why I know it's edible is any bird or any animal eat, I would eat it. <laughs> you know, I said, if they eat, if the animal eat it and the animal not die, I eat it. You know, when something going around in my life that I felt is so hard in America, at that moment, I look back in Cambodia, I'm like, there's nothing compared to that. So passing forward, we escaped in 1975, 79, walking towards Thailand. And my mom said, you know, no matter what, we're going to go towards other country to get help. We're not going to stay in Cambodia. But during that time, I overheard my dad um, said, 
you know, um, I wanted to stay, he wanted to stay in Cambodia. But my mom said, nope, we're not going to stay in Cambodia. So I'm going to struggle to leave Cambodia even if I die. And so um, on the way to um, Thailand, she got pregnant. Um, you know, already she was nine months pregnant and delivered a baby under the mango tree. And it happened to be twins. And they have absolutely nothing. This is and if you're looking at the necessity of um, pregnant women in America, what they need, well, my mom didn't have anything. And she had a midwife that come over and cut the umbilical cord and things like that. Um, my dad had to rip his shirt in half, one for each baby, wrap them, and that's all they have. And um, and then I was having a little kettle that I, you know, making water, boiling water before we can drink it. Because, you know, um, that's another thing we learn through um, hardship. We learn that if you don't boil water, it's contaminated water. You won't be able to drink it. It would hurt your belly. So we learn how to boil water, you know, and I'm not sure if anybody else do the same, but from my family, because my mom has some education in the university before the war. So she learned a lot about nursing, you know, being a nurse, being um, how to get, how to be clean and, you know, what it needs to be clean when it comes to contamination. So um, with that knowledge, she helped us a lot during that process. But staying under the mango tree, um, my, my dad left us there for three months. Now, it looks like he left us for three months, but he, kept, he got captured for three months. When he left to go find us food, he got captured. And um, we didn't know his story, um, why he got captured until we, you know, until he came back. But during that three months, it was the hardest three months I ever... Sometimes when I get scared, I get... Um, anxious about my life today, I would get bad nightmare back, reflect back to that time because I had to go and dig dead people to find gold so that I can trade it for food. In that moment, I discover how gold and, you know, important gold is to, you know, um, to trade for food because they don't have any money exchange hands. They weigh gold, exchange for food. And I went and asked people, how can I get some, you know, food from them? If I could work for them, they won't allow me to work because, you know, there's no job during that time. So I, that's the reason why I went and dig dead people because there's a big pit hole of dead people all around. And the, the, the grave is very shallow. You know, when it rains, you can almost see the bones stick out, the hands stick out the head stick out, you know, everything. So I figured that when they kill these people, they, the, the jewelry and everything they wear is on themselves. And, you know, I, and I said, I have to go get those gold, <laughs> even though it scared me so much. I still, you know, have to dig because my parents, um, my mom and need to, to live and feed the, the twin that just born and my brother. Um, so while I was digging, I'm, you know, Oh, the smell, I just couldn't, I remember the smell was so bad and I'm scared to death. 
And then I was just talking in my head at that time, probably, I don't know if I talk it out loud, but in my head, I know I say, oh, you know, if I wish, I wish I can find something for my mom. And the next thing I know, I turn around, I found this big ruby that just shined like really bright on my, you know, at my face, like, wow. So I, I got the ruby and um, and went to the market and trade that ruby. Um, it's so bright. I mean, that ruby is so bright that they call it, nowadays they call it ruby diamond, you know, so bright despite of everything around like dark too and it still shine, you know, and um, so I trade that for 10 cup of rice. That's all I got, 10 cup of rice. And that's to keep us surviving every day. And um, at that time, the Vietnam soldier is, they, 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 they fighting in, you know, they keep coming in to help um, killing the, the Pol Pot out of Cambodia. To take back Cambodia, and I'm not sure what their um, political issue is. I was too young to know that. But I know that there are Vietnamese coming in, Vietnamese soldiers coming in. Um, fortunately, my mom also speaks Vietnamese. She speaks three languages, she speaks French, um, Vietnamese, and Cambodia very well. And so she's, you know, talk to them and um, tell them the, her story. And they, the soldier keep coming, bring, buy some food here and there. And, and, and that, again, I don't have to go out and beg for food because they keep bringing food to, you know, for us on that mango tree. Three months later, my dad showed up, you know, and then again, you know, he shared with us his side of the story. It was the most horrific story. But, you know, going forward, we, we take our family and then all the rest of the people that follow us. Um, you know, my, my dad are very generous. You know, when he came back, he, he got a lot of food that he trade and he sell water on the way to to the tourists. And he bought all those packaging food and bring it back to us. And he gave to everybody around us. And um, and I remember at one time, like, Dad, um, you know, why don't you save some for us so we can move forward with that? He go, don't worry, you know, we're going to have enough. So when he said that, I'm like, wow, you know, even as, as little that we have, he still give to other people around him. And, but, and, I, and then I know now, reflecting back why he does all of that. They help us, especially when we have to cross the water to Thailand. I, I was so, I mean, I'm so fragile and thin, but again, he didn't, you know, if, if nobody hold my hand, I, my, the curtain of water would take me away. But because all those people follow him to, um, you know, my mom and dad to um, Thailand, they help us. They help all the kids, like carry, you know, um, take our hand and just drag us along. And then um, that's how we cross the water to Thailand. In Thailand camp, the UN set up, you know, everything in there. And that's when we first, you know, um, found out that we can apply to go to America or Paris or France. Even though my mom can speak French, but she chose to come to America. because America is, the, she said, it's more free for you, for the kids to make decisions. Nobody dictate them what to do, you know, um, take away their right. 
So that's why she fought to come to America. She said America is better for the kids, even though they struggle to fight for themselves, but they're going to learn so much more. And she always choose the place that are hard for us, especially when um, she, when we're supposed to stay in California, Long Beach, it would be easier for our lives to be there because we have a group of people that we know and we speak similar language we can assimilate with. No, my mom said then I'd be too comfortable to um, be at that stage. So he, you know, she moved us to Pennsylvania, the coolest place on earth. <laughs> um, our sponsor have to rent us a home near near the trip, the, the railroad track. And every five o'clock the train come by, you know, and it just shake everything up. But here, the funny story is that they, we have two bedrooms that we could share. But somehow, we end up, all our seven of us stay right in one room. We never touch another room. You know, we were just so grateful. Like we, when, when we found the spoon and, and, and you know, the bed to, to lay on, everything that we have, we were just so grateful. Like, you know, everything just seemed big for us, you know, like just even the, the house, of, when I go back and look at that house now, I'm like, that's a tiny home. But it was so big for us back then, you know, um, we was just grateful that we were, were there. Well, didn't speak any English. Again, you're in um, the mid of all the town, I would say all Caucasian. I don't see any other color except me at that time, you know. It was hard. It's not something that um, I wish for any kids have to go through. But at the same time, they build who I am today. They help build who I am today. And I'm grateful. I didn't know it at that time, you know, but at the same time, I felt like because of that, I learned how to fight for myself. I, I don't allow, you know, them to... Um, bring their hatred towards me. I look at them and I smile at them and I, you know, and, and I'm friendly to them no matter what they do. And my parents, the same way it is, I'm struggling to get them out of that neighborhood right now. They still want to be the same place. The, the little home that we purchased because we were, nobody rented us the home to us anymore because the home was, our landlord said we um, he don't have money to fix the home anymore because the people keep throwing rocks at the window and putting dirty water at the door so that when my, my dad walked out, it would drop on his head, would drop on our heads. And that happened several times. We, did, we were so afraid to call the landlord, so we have to use the cardboard and snow... Up in Pennsylvania, winter time, it, the snow is not um, very friendly to us. It was very cold. But, you know, one thing that I know my parents always, and, and for us, we always grateful at where we at, no matter what happened to us. And, and somewhere, somehow, we build resilience through all of those um, obstacles. And... That's led me to, you know, to do whatever it takes to um, work two or three jobs, if I have to, and um, 
you know, just, just to get away from all that environment and have the mindset that I can do, you know, if I'm able to breathe, I can do anything, anything in, you know, anything that, um, that our God putting on this earth to do. And so um, that was my mindset. I was like, I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. You know, like I should have been dead already several times in Cambodia, but here I am living and breathing. So I didn't focus on, you know, what was happening to me at the time. I, I was speaking, how can I speak English better? Even though I didn't um, have a chance to start um, learning English until I was 14, because that's when I came to America. And, and it's the, the hardest um, one because English is not something that is easy for me. Because um, where I came from, my word is only one word. You know, we don't have past 10, present 10, all these plural, you know, all these um, word that add on to there or, or keep or sound the same, but it's mean differently. We don't have that kind of word, you know, and and so English was like the hardest for me when you don't know, start out in kindergarten. And so my sibling, they're very blessed. They have a chance to go from kindergarten all the way to um, university. They graduate and, you know, um, they, they speak English very well. And, and so a lot of time, I think I felt like I'm not um, good enough from that, that from that standpoint, like, wow, how come every time, the more I try to speak English better, the more I fail it, like, because my, my sibling would, um, you know, would make fun of how I speak my, <laughs> you know, um, how I say thing and how I address thing. And then, and where I came from, I'm trying to translate from what I understand to how I address them. We, we have a, a gap of disconnect. You know, because um, my siblings are 10 and 12 years younger than me. And um, and you're talking about that gap, you know, it's, it's a big gap. Sometimes um, they don't understand, like, who I am. And I don't, I, I don't understand who they are. Because um, they're millennial and I'm, you know, not a generation, um, <laughs> a generation X. And so it's, you know, it's it's hard to um, connect with them. Now, when 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 I met Charles to um, do the financial um, side, is because I was so driven. Like, I was studying to be um, an accountant at that time, and that's part time. You know, I work and then go to school at the same time because I have kids. It's not that I. Um, enjoy having kids and then go to school. It just happened to, you know, got married early. And, and that's another story to talk about Asian culture, especially if you're the oldest one, you want to have, you want to be the one that set example for your sibling and you are, your responsibility is to take care of them, you know, and take care of all their needs. And I'm caught between American culture and the Asian culture. I was torn between the two when I was in my teen, especially in my 18, 19. Now I become more aware I can speak English better. So um, the more I know, the more 
it's almost like you have war in your head. You know, um, sometimes ignorant is bliss. And it's so, so true with that statement. Because the more I know, the more I, I became like, you know, unhappy with what I have. And I'm continuing to work harder and one more. And then I got married early because my culture is that, you know, um, you, your parent arranged for you. And the way they arrange for you is that the guys have to be the one who have enough money to support you and have good career and all that stuff. So women absolutely mean nothing. You can't do anything. So I, I went the opposite of what they want. You know, I, I basically did a 360 on, I mean, you know, 180 on them. So the opposite, I, I did a 180 and I go against them. I say no to all the marriage arrangement that come and ask me when I was um, 19 years old. And I got married to the guy that I choose, who, who I thought was good for me. But at the time I didn't know anything. You know, you only know what you know. And so our marriage was, was you know, was um, kind of forced into a place where we needed to be together. Um, we were not ready to be married. We were both too young. And that was another problem that add up, escalate in my relationship and problem in life that I shouldn't be having. But because of that decision, I add that major problem into my life. And have, from that marriage, I had two um, you know, kids with him. And um, now my son is 29 and my daughter Elizabeth, 26. And, um, you know, at the same time, while I have raising those kids, children, I went to school and worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield at the same time. While I was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield, I put myself to school to finish my degree in finance and accounting. Um, so that's how I wanted to, you know, better my life and, and help my family out. So when I um, met Charles, I was working three jobs because I want to make money. I know that we don't, we don't start with money. So that was my mindset. That's how I ran into um, Charles. And I was just there with my two little kids. I'm running around while I'm trying to hear his presentation. And, um, and then I left it like that because I wanted to know how money works so bad. You know, if I know how money works, then I know it will change my life. As we all know, money runs through the fabric of all human life, of all of everything that we do, money run into that. So for me, I just wanted to know how is, how is the money work? And then when he comes to meet with me after that presentation, I have purchased um, life insurance through um, the company called Prime America. At that time, Prime America was big. They go around selling life insurance, selling mutual fund. So I wanted to, to buy a mutual fund. You know, I don't know what mutual fund is, really. <laughs> I didn't even know what it is. At that time, Charles keep joking around, you know, 
mutual fund when you get together and having fun. And that's how that's all mutual funds. And then I thought, now this really is mutual fund. So um, I bought mutual fund and from from prior America, and I didn't realize the fees that they charge in that fund. You see, when you don't know, it could be good and also very bad for you. You have to choose how to be. So um, that's a big lesson in when it comes to investing. And then after that, I was I, like, I hate any kind of investing. So I went straight to learn about life insurance product. You know, when you, again, when you don't know, sometimes it's good for you. And then sometimes it's very bad for you, especially when it comes to companies that you deal with. Now we know a lot more and we, we have to make a decision to stay with that company after 12 years of working day and night or leave. And the first things that happened in 2001 was really bad. It was the dot-com crash. And during that crash, it really impacted how I was thinking about money and how I was thinking about the whole industry in the financial industry overall, how crooked they are. You know, it's just like overnight you could lose, you know, everything. We, um, we just build a new house and we have to sell that home very quickly. And we have to revamp everything that we do. And, you know, we still believe in the business. But then in 2008, that's when it hit another crash. That was the mortgage crash. Um, we, at that time, we have a mortgage um, broker license and we have about 200 loan officers working with us. And again, when the um, finance, the, the comp, you know, the bank, the, um, when they go bankrupt, they take all our profit and loss with them that we put a hold in, in them to pay our, our loan officer. So that's another crash that we, um, you know, we get hurt really bad when it comes to financial industry. So, you know, again, that's come from a place when you don't know, you don't know. And, you know, when, when you know about certain thing and you go about to doing it and you don't have the right structure to do it and you don't have the right information, you know, you, so you, you're putting all your eggs in one basket and you lose it all. We experienced all of that loss because it hit us big time. And that's uh, my experience in the financial industry. And then, um, you know, we decided to just redo everything all over from scratch. Um, start with a new company because of our track record with a previous company. We, we get really good, you know, contract with new companies and we go directly to wholesaler and deal, you know, it's just two of us. And we somehow, you know, everybody continue to believe in our choice, in our direction and where we go. And we build a, a really nice team from there and continue to grow ever since and learn, taking all that choice and bad ex experience that we got to, um, you know, to put a, um, a shield to it on that we don't have to be like that again, you know. So now we got all these knowledge <laughs> that we accumulate for the past 20 plus year, 25 plus year. 
to um, to put in front of us of what we have today and still continue learning and growing and continue to put ourselves with great people, you know, um, and learn from them and, and grow from that. And that's on my business side, on my journey to why money is so important to everyone, no matter how old they are and, and, and where they at and who they are. And they need to know that money is not the, the it's not something that make them happy. Money is just a tool, the tool that help them to um, be whatever they want to be, you know. And if you can discern from that, that money is just a tool, then you, you're not afraid of money anymore. You're not, you're not so like driven to, to find money, you know, because it's gonna be there. But if, you know, but only if you're willing to search for it and you're willing to step out of your own self to find that. And that's what we did. We always step out. We always expand our circle. Where, you know, where can we go and find people who can help us? Where can we go to learn from the people who are successful? You know, and, and that's our journey we, in, in our business side, always improving, always growing, always getting a coach to help us. What do you think is the greatest challenge to getting your finances in order? Greatest challenge is their habits. Um, they have to be willing to change their habits. You know, and if they're not willing to sit down and admit that they have problems, then we cannot help them. And that's the greatest challenge is for people to own up to what they have been doing is not good for them all along and, and leaving them with their own devices is going to only lead to destruction. So that is the biggest challenge. Do you think that people need help with their finances? Is it something they can navigate on their own? I think every one of us need help with our finances. Um, we always need a third party to come in and look at, you know, what we have and what we don't have and, and what is the best plan and how we can restructure our life, you know. Um, and, and people should always do that before they have any big problem come up. And most people, when they look for um, help, is when they already have problem, and that's why it's harder to change that habits, you know, because people don't want to hear that they have a problem. They just want to hear that they, everything in their life that they're doing is somebody else's problem, not them. But uh, even me, I mean, I still have coach. I mean, I need a coach to tell me. Every single day. Um, we have coaching call every Monday and we have coaching call, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching call. I'm paying a lot of money for my coach to get coaching, you know, and I don't mind because I know that if it leads to my own device, I become very destructive and I can't help anybody if I'm destructive. So tell us a little bit about your current business 
and ways that you're helping others build wealth? Who we are, why we exist, you know, to create the life that you love. I love that because that just, that, that's exactly what I feel in my heart. It's like, I really want you, Danielle, to have the life you love. Because you know why? If you have the life you love, you make the whole world around you better. And then I don't have to go out and, and spread so many, you know, because you. if I can get 10 of you to get the life you love, your world is so much better. Your world create that peace that you love because, you know, who, who wants to bring destructive into their life? No. Right? So, um, no. If you can make the life that you love, I would say the whole world going to be, you know, a ripple effect from that. And so that's why we create and we rebrand our company to that, why we exist. Charles and I were, were first born. We, we never got anything given to us. We create everything that happened to us. And what we have today is all from what we created through the grace of God wrapped around that, you know, and, and all purely from, you know, our intention is really good, but through a lot of mistakes. Our company give out books like um, The Power of Zero, you know, that's the, the books that is easy to read and easy to understand. And, um, you know, now we create a, a, comp, a um, class called Financial Foundation. And I encourage anybody to have to go to class. When you read books, it's not necessarily that, that you're not going to know what to do from books, but it's, it's not as clear. You know, when you go to a class that, like our company that giving out to people for free, you know, this is 16 hours of hard work and of all intellectual property for the last 25 years, wrapping around into eight class session and give it to you for free. And, and if anybody who got willing to put themselves intentionally and go through the class, they will come out no more than, a, you know, than any financial advisor out there knowing what to do with their own home and how to, to um, plan for that and how to structure the home, you know, their own life with that. And, with the, and you absolutely need a coach. You cannot do this without a coach. Um, you know, even if you know that you're smart at this, at um, finance, at number, you know, and all of that, you still need a coach. You need a coach to um, guide you to, you know, to live to the fullest of what you made from your own finance, your own money. Not because it's, you know, you need a coach to um, tell you what to do, but to help shed the light of what you, you know, you already know, but allow you to see more. You know, you cannot see with your own circle. You have to see a bigger circle of that. What? should we look for in a financial coach? What qualities? Mm, that's a good question. For me, I, I look for people who have a good heart, number one. You know, not so much of what's in their head, but what's in their heart. And that leads to next 
question is why they got into that position where they at. So you want to ask your coach, why do you, um, you know, wanting to do what you're doing? Why do you become a financial coach? You know, what made you to become a financial coach? Then you really know where their heart is at. Because if they don't love what they do, they come to become a financial coach just because they want to make money or more money and because that industry make more money, then it's the wrong place to be, to, to choose that kind of coach. You want a coach that love what they do and and willing to walk through, you know, through all the process with you, holding your hand and pay, be patient enough to listen to all the things that are going on in your head and help you to see what you don't see on, you know, on the way there. What do you want to be remembered for? A good mom, a good friend, a good wife, you know, to my husband, um, a good business partner to him and that I don't give up on people. And even it's hard, even when it's hard, I don't give up.